Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Have you ever heard the story in the Old Testament about Jacob, who in this story that we're going to just reference real quick, it becomes Israel? Um, he is out in the middle of the you know, wilderness, so to speak, and he starts wrestling with ultimately who he finds out to be God, or basically an angel of God, however you want to look at it. He starts wrestling with him, and if you remember the story, he wrestles how long? All night long, all night long, he holds on to him, and he's not really, you know, beating him. It's sort of a stalemate, so to speak. Now, we understand that God or the angel, the messenger of God, was kind of taking it easy on him. We understand that. But he's sitting there, he's holding on to him, holding on to him, and he says, I won't let go of you until you what? Bless me. Have you ever sort of felt like you were doing that with God, like you were just wrestling with God and you were just like, okay, I know I'm not stronger than God, but I'm just going to hold on to you, God, until you give me what I want? You ever felt like you were doing that? Y'all are so spiritual, y'all never consider doing that, right? Now, I've been that way. Like, I just knew that this thing or this person or this job or this opportunity was what I needed, and I'm going to hold on to you, God, and I'm going to do it because I know what's best, and I'm sort of implying you don't know what's best, God, but I'm going to hold on until you give it to me. One of those that comes to my mind for me was um, this girl that I dated in high school. Now, I I say it like that because, unfortunately, there's a lot of suspects that could be uh, fit in that category. So hopefully she won't know if she were to somehow randomly hear this. But uh, I guess I am going to qualify a little bit. I graduate and we end up breaking up. Um, I was like heartbroken. I was like, I thought, it had already crossed my mind, believe it or not, I thought, this is the one. You know, not as bad as when you're in middle school and you think that. Now, if you married your middle school sweetheart, wow, more power to you, but that doesn't happen very often, right? Um, and a lot of people don't marry their high school sweetheart. But I was like, oh man, I think she's the one. I'm like, I've got to figure out how to get her back with me. And, you know, I'm getting ready to go off to college. I ended up choosing a college um, that I might not have gone to. It was in the running, but I chose a college so it would be a little bit closer. Yeah, I had issues. I had issues. Um, but. Over time, I began to realize that, you know, hey, if that had worked out, if I had forced the issue, or if maybe God had a sort of, you know, let me have what I wanted and what I thought was best, Sherry would have missed out on the greatest blessing of her life. <laughs> what's, what's wrong with saying it that way? I mean, she agrees. Thankfully, I got the mic. She doesn't. But... No, I would have missed out on the greatest blessing of my life, you know? I really, I'm not, and I'm, I'm up to discuss this. I mean, it's not a whole lot of point to discuss it because nobody's going to have a real answer until we get to heaven. But I'm not of the, the mindset that God has one person for us that we have to marry and because he gives us choice and free will. And, you know, I, but I do believe that there are people that God is sort of like saying, here's a good one, you know, and, and he'll bring them into your life if you're patient and you trust him. And I believe that as close as it can be to the one that is the perfect one for me is this woman right here. I mean that. And I'm not in trouble. I mean, that I know of. I could be. But I'm saying that with sincerity. But here's the deal. I didn't trust God's timing, but thankfully He had mercy on me and didn't give me what I wanted and what I thought was best. You know, many times the blessings that we seek are 
in our wallets. You know, it's like, God, give me this blessing, and we mean what? Money. God, give me this um, job opportunity. And, and there's nothing wrong with asking for those things. There's nothing wrong with even asking God for, to provide more money. That's okay. But it's not always, and we talked about this a little bit over the past several weeks, it's not always a blessing, is it? And we think about these things, and we think about our status, or we think about recognition, and we think, God, if I could just be more appreciated, it would be such a blessing. If I could just be a little bit more highly thought of, more um, successful in my career. But the truth is this, and this is going to be hard to hear for some of us. Some of us already know it, but we don't really adopt it and adapt it into our lives. And then others, you know, you're already there. But the truth is, is that what if I told you that you already have the biggest blessing that you'll ever need? If you are a Christian, you already have the greatest blessing that you'll ever need. You are a saved by grace sinner who doesn't deserve it, but has the grace of Jesus. And Jesus is the only blessing that you truly, truly need. Now, as I said, some of us in our minds are like, yeah, that's nice, but I really could use a little bit extra in my paycheck every week. Or my car is beat up and falling apart, and I could really use a, a better car. Okay, yeah, I love Jesus. I, I want to go to heaven, but I don't think I'm going today. So in the meantime, can I get a little bit of cashola, right? I mean, you know? It's, we, we, we struggle with that. Some of you are there. Some of you are sort of going through that in your mind. And some of you are like, well, I don't even know. I don't know where you are. You're like, I don't even know if Jesus is really the greatest blessing. I, I'm maybe not a Christian yet. And you're like, I don't know if it's worth giving up my life that this Bible talks about. I don't know. I don't know. And so there's people all over the spectrum, so to speak. But the truth is, I want you to consider this. If all you ever get to do is go to heaven, is that enough? If all the praise that you ever get in this life is well done, my good and faithful servant, is that enough? If all the treasure that you ever get in this life is what you get in heaven, is that enough? I struggle to answer that honestly. I, I can say, oh yeah, that's enough. But I have struggled my whole life with being a people pleaser and wanting people to pat me on the back and say what you're doing is good enough. I, I've gone to counseling for it, I've prayed about it, I've talked to different people and I've gotten better, but that's why when people say hurtful things about me, it crushes me. I, I'm just being honest. I, I'm just being completely honest. And so it's hard for me to say, yeah, if the only praise that I ever get is well done, my good and faithful servant, I'm excited about it. But if I'm being honest, I really would like a blessing of somebody here on earth telling me that I'm doing a good job too. I'm not begging y'all to come say, you did a good job, because I'll see you're lying right through your teeth. I'm kidding. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm letting you into the, you know. Because I will doubt what you're saying. That's part of my little issue. So that's what our struggle is, right? But maybe, maybe that's not you, but maybe there's another thing. Maybe it's the money thing. Maybe it's a success. Maybe it's, you know, you fill in the blank with whatever it is. It's like, yeah, I want Jesus, but I would like a little something extra. 
The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church in Ephesus. That's a, a, a city in Asia Minor that was sort of the hub of all commerce and trade and really worship and religion in that area. And it's, uh, it was just a bustling city. And he wrote to that church that was there that was a church that was divided. They were struggling like a lot of the New Testament churches with, was it okay to just be a Christian or did you need to be a Jewish Christian? Or is it just better to be a Gentile Christian, you know? And they were arguing back and forth. And this church was divided about that. They were diverted away from their true purpose and their true joy and being Christ-like servants. They were struggling. And as I said, Ephesus was this like hub of commerce. It was at the confluence of a river and there were a lot of roads that came in and out of it. So it was a place for trade. And if you read through the Bible, like in the book of Acts, you'll see that there was this temple to a Greek or a Roman goddess. There was a, a variation of each. Artemis or Diana. Diana was the Roman goddess name. Artemis was the Greek goddess name. What a name to put on that woman. Poor thing, Artemis. That's, that's rough. But forgive me if your name's Artemis. I don't, you know. But that was the temple that was there. And if you remember from the book of Acts, there was this big outcry because a lot of people were stopping the worship of Artemis or Diana. And so the silversmiths went in and caused a riot and wanted to get rid of Paul. And they started chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They did it for over and over and over and over. And Artemis or Diana was this goddess who was a goddess over the hunt, over vegetation, so like crops and the natural crops, but even a goddess of fertility. She was a goddess of fertility. And she really struggled, or she was, her purpose was, when you were struggling in childbirth, you called out to Artemis or Diana, and supposedly she would come and help you. And so this was the center of the commerce there, it was the center of everything. And this is just the Bible nerd me, and I'm going to share this with you. Some of you aren't going to like this, but this is cool. Her temple was the biggest temple um, that we know of in history. It was one of the seven, early seven wonders of the world. And the interesting thing is it was built on a swamp, okay? A little light goes off there. It was built in a swamp, and they took animal skins and charcoal and put it underneath it. Now, one thing that it benefited from was it wasn't as susceptible to earthquakes. It kind of like floated and shifted. But doesn't that just cry out that this thing is built on sinking sand? You know? Here's this, this goddess that they were worshiping, that they were giving their whole lives to, and they were involved in sexual immorality and the worship of her, and there was all sorts of things, and people were just focused on this god. And so this was in the very DNA of this entire city, all these people who were now trying to worship the one true God. So even the believers would wrestle with sexual immorality and greed because they were losing their finances at times and doubting God's provision. Is God really going to show up and provide? They were elevating themselves above each other, the Jews over the Greeks and the Greeks over the Jews. And they were all trying to get ahead and find their value and stuff and recognition. You could plop that down in the middle of 2024, couldn't you? You see, the church in Ephesus needed a wake-up call, and I think us as the church worldwide need a wake-up call today. And so that's what we're talking about over these next few weeks is, is getting a wake-up call from the book of Ephesians. And so the question I want us to really kind of ponder and dig in today is how do you adopt the mindset that Jesus is enough so you stop chasing fulfillment in everybody and everything else? How do you do it? 
Because it's one thing to know that you need to do it, right? But how do you do it? And so I hope we're going to start to answer some of those questions for you. So listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Ephesus right here. And he also says to you and me, Ephesus chapter 1, or Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that we learn is what he says next, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you. I have all I need in Jesus. That I is you. <laughs> that I is me too. Look at verse 3. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you have Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, guess what? You have all you need. You have every blessing in Jesus Christ. He says, past tense, he has blessed us with every blessing in Jesus Christ. And that is hard. That is a wrestling match. And I, I know I've sort of hammered it already, but man, we struggle with wanting more Jesus and a little bit more, right? But we'll never ever find joy, we'll never ever find peace, we'll never ever find contentment if we don't learn first that Jesus is enough. He's enough, and he's got to be enough if we're ever going to find joy. Continuing on in uh, verse 4, every spiritual blessing, um, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us as, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, I could spend a lot of time getting into uh, those words. Those are trigger words for a lot of people, predestined and chose us in Him. But ultimately, when you look at it and you read that passage, I believe the main idea that we're need, we need to grasp our minds around and wrap our minds around is that God chose Jesus as the vehicle and the platform and the carrier and the purchaser of our salvation. And when you meet Jesus on his terms, then you have the chosen way to have a relationship with God. He predestined the plan. Even before we sin, God in his knowledge knew that we would sin, Adam and Eve, and then everybody else. He predestined the plan that he would send his son to pay for those sins. And that is far greater than worrying about, am I chosen? Are you chosen? It's if you are in Jesus, guess what? You are chosen. And man, I love that because it doesn't matter about how good I am or bad I am. And I, I, like I said, I don't want to get into a tangent and, and talk about that theological belief, but man, Jesus is the chosen, predestined way to purchase our freedom. We were chosen and we were adopted as sons and daughters before creation in Jesus. It says, in Him in Him. So in Christ, there's no fear of rejection. How many of you came in here today or sat in your room as a little boy or little girl and wondered, is anybody ever going to truly love me? 
I've been rejected over and over and over and over by the people that were supposed to be there for me, the people that were supposed to take care of me. In Jesus, you don't have to have fear of rejection. You don't have to have fear of being turned away because he chose us and adopted us. He said, I want anybody who comes in Jesus. And here's what it says next. Here's the next idea that I want you to get. What you have in him is by grace. What you have is by grace. Look at verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That is Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And this is where uh, I want us to really think about and focus. So he chose us in Christ, and here's where it gets really, really good. Now, I've already cheated a little bit. I already gave a spoiler um, for it. I've already told you this, but this is where we really see exactly how good we've got it in Jesus. It says it's by grace. That word is thrown around, you know, y'all know that one of my favorite movies is, you know, Christmas Vacation. And they said, you know, say grace, Aunt Bethany. Grace, she died over 30 years ago, right, right? The blessing. So a lot of times we think of grace as just the blessing that you say before a meal. But man, that is just robbing grace of what it really is, right? I mean, I'm not saying you can call it grace if you want, that's fine. But that's not the fullness of grace. Grace is, there's an acronym that people make, and I think it's a great one. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. So you and I, who don't deserve it, get God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid the price. A more theological, if you will, or Bible college or seminary definition is unmerited favor. It's favor or goodness that you don't deserve or didn't earn. You didn't earn it. And that is what's so beautiful about it. If you have struggled with feeling rejected and you feel like nobody really chose you or chooses you, or if they say they choose you, they turn their back on you, you don't have to worry with that about with Jesus because his, you didn't earn it to begin with. So you can't mess it up. And the problem is, is with those of us who have struggled with feeling like nobody really truly cares about us, we always think, I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to do something. They're going to see the real me. They're going to get to know my personality, and I'm going to drive them away, and they're going to leave me. They're going to reject me just like everybody else. But Jesus won't do that because Jesus knew you were messed before. He knew you were screwed up, and he still loves you and chose you. And if that doesn't blow your mind, I want you to listen again. Jesus chose you not because of anything good or bad you've done. He's giving you his grace because he loves you and chooses you in spite of your sin. And in verse 7 it said, redemption in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. That word redemption is a good Bible word. And it gives the idea of ransomed with a price. He paid our ransom. We were kidnapped and held in prison by sin and death, and he paid the price with what? His blood. He paid the price with his blood. It's something that is more precious than anything we could ever think of. And here's where I want you to sort of plug yourself into the mind of these Ephesians, right? These first receivers of this letter. 
they worshiped Artemis or Diana. And if you know anything about Greek gods and goddesses, it is that they were a mess, right? Even the people who worshiped them knew, I want to stay on their good side because who knows what they're going to come and do, right? They're going to come and wreak havoc on my property. They might take my wife or my husband away. I mean, they might do all sorts of things. And there was always this constant fear and worry about appeasing these gods. And you would never think that a God would really come and do something good for you. It was all about you doing good stuff for who? The God or the goddess. But this Jesus, this Jesus is the Jesus, the God, who went and paid the price for you and me. That's mind-blowing to these Ephesians that grew up under this Roman and Greek God system, is that this God paid the price for me, he sacrificed for me, that's what Jesus did for you too. He paid the price for your sin. And that redemption carries another sort of deeper meaning. Not just paid the price with, as a ransom, but it's forgiveness by grace. So when he tells us that, it's not merely that we're escaping the penalty. You know, we're sentenced to death, but we get set free. It's as if we never sinned to begin with. And that's another thing that some of us really need to hear. And if you're having a hard time with it, I want you to listen in, okay? Here, everybody listen in. Some of you have been forgiven by Jesus, but you think you've still got to carry your sin and your guilt and your shame with you. God doesn't love me enough for me to leave this with him. He wants me to suffer, so I'm going to carry it with me. You might not have ever voiced it that way, but that's where it is inside your brain. He is, you got to carry it. You've got to bear that burden. You've got to wrestle with it. You've got to hold on to it. You've got to drag it around with you, and it's made you walk different. You're limping because you're carrying that burden. Let it go. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. I was getting tense there. I had to break the tension for y'all. Stop holding on to something that Jesus considers gone and wiped away. If you were in Christ, it doesn't matter how good or bad you are. It's forgiven. It's free. It's done away with. And then he goes on in verse 8. He said, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I, I love that word lavished. It, it's just an interesting word. It's not one that I use a lot or maybe that you use, but it's just like overflowing, abounding, more than enough. And, you know, it, it, here's, I always think of it like this. It, it's a weird little analogy, but it fits in my mind and maybe to help you. I think of lavished and I think of lather, all in the same thing. And I think of like, you know, the uh, shampoo commercials, you know, when like people are standing under a waterfall, you know, and the water's just pouring on them. That's what I think of, and that's what God's grace is like, right? He, he lavished it. He poured it out, just, and it never stops. It never stops. It just pours out over, over, abounding, over, uh, abounding, overflowing, abundant. It pours over and over. And here's something, too. I, and I know I'm beating a dead horse, but some of y'all are still trying to ride that horse. So I'm going to keep beating it. He says, in all wisdom and insight is what he gave us this, this grace. Jesus is not a bad judge of character. Some of you are still going to struggle with trying to walk out of here saying, yeah, that's true for everybody but me. 
I've got Jesus fooled. He just doesn't know how messed up I am or that's just not true for me. It's true for everybody else. Some form of that. But it says in all wisdom, in all wisdom and insight, he poured out, he lavished his grace on us. He knew what he was doing when he allowed you to have that grace too. You understand what I'm saying? He knew what he was doing when he allowed that grace to be poured out on you. He's not a bad judge of character. He doesn't make decisions flippantly. He makes them with wisdom, and he chose to do that. He knew that you would receive this grace, and he didn't say, I, I, everybody but her, everybody but him. He lavished it on anybody who will accept it. And so here's the third idea. Live like it. Since you know that you have all you need in Jesus, and then therefore what you have is by grace, and it's not because you've been good or bad or can mess it up or lose it, it's you need to live like it. You need to live differently. I need to live differently. Look at verse 9 and 10. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I love this part, and it's easy to sort of gloss over this because it seems sort of weird and just flowy language. But this mystery of his will is that God was going to unite himself with mankind. And even more than that, he was going to unite himself, God and man, through Jesus. He was also going to unite all of us. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but you're weird. <laughs> I'm weird. We all have our quirks. We all have our issues, right? We are sometimes not always easy to love, no matter what your mama said. You don't always get it right. You don't always treat people right. I don't always treat people right. But God, in His grace, not only united God and man, He gave us the ability, all of us be united, all of us come together and be the church that He's called us to be. Praise God, right? But you've also got some pretty useful things for you that are part of you and that make you up, that makes that even more beautiful. And we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. But God united us. That was the mystery, is that he was uniting what did not seem able to be united. Mankind together as one between God and man. And that Greek word that's translated unite in some translations, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, can be translated summarize, sum up to explain. You know, the church is supposed to be a summary of eternity. Do you know that? The church is supposed to be the cliff notes of what heaven's going to look like. We're supposed to be living that eternal life right here and right now. Now, is it the fullness? Has, has all sin and death been removed from this earth? No. But until then, we need to learn to what? Love one another and be united between God and man and each other. We need to be the summary, the summation. of like, if you want to know what heaven's going to look like, I hate to break it to you, it's probably not going to be hard. So ding, 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 on clouds. It's going to look like people loving one another, but perfectly. No more heartache, no more tears, no more death, no more sin, no more shame, no more sorrow. But so we need to do our best to try to get it as much like, what did Jesus say in his prayer? Kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're so called to be a summary or an explanation of what heaven is going to look like, what heaven's going to be like. And so the church is supposed to look like our united, restored relationship with Jesus and with one another. We don't always do it. 
we actually sometimes can stink at it. I, I think this church is doing a pretty good job of it. Can we improve? Amen, yeah. But we want it to expand to not just us, but hundreds and thousands of people and churches all around the world that have the same heart and mindset to be the church of Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing is this, is you don't have to feel like it's all on you, that you've got to do it, and that because you're the weak link, that you're the reason it's messing up, because guess what Jesus did in John 17, beginning in verse 21? Read along with me. Jesus prayed for us, saying that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. The church's job is to be united so that people seek that oneness. Oneness with God and oneness with people. That's what we're called to do, is we're called to be united in love. And God, Jesus prayed that you and I could be one. And so if Jesus prayed for it, do you think it's possible? Now, you know what? Now, I'm going to start preaching here. <laughs> I think the reason that we struggle with doing that is because the key, the linchpin to all this is dying to ourselves. As long as you stay the king and lord of your life, you will never ever be able to be one with God or one with other people. And as long as you allow that flesh to be in charge, it's going to be a struggle, it's going to be a wrestling match, but the more that you sacrifice yourself to God, you will be able to love other people well, and you'll be able to love the Father and, and have the love of the Son and the Holy Spirit in you. Much of our division and our mistrust of people comes from insecurity, doesn't it? Most of our division and our arguments and our anger towards people comes from insecurity. We get so angry. We get so angry when we're attacked, when we're slighted, when we're forgotten, when we're overlooked, when we're mistreated or we're disrespected, and we're like, we're never going to let that happen to us again. What if Jesus, after they slapped him across the face for the first time, said, that's it. No more. Nobody's ever going to disrespect me again. Where would we be? But we have so much insecurity, and the reason is, is because we place our value and our worth in the hands and opinions of others, not in the hands of the eternal, almighty God, King of heaven. You will struggle with making sure that you are not disrespected and you are not forgotten and you are not mistreated. You will struggle with that until you place your worth and your identity in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And I'm not saying it's easy. I struggle with it every day. But the more I do, the less I struggle. The more I give to Him, the less I struggle, the less I wrestle with the opinions and the thoughts of what other people think about me. And as we talked about over the last few weeks, we talked about solitude, which is basically like your, your devotion time, for lack of a better word. Solitude is the place where we get this eternal perspective so that the light and momentary troubles that we have in our lives are just that, that they're recognized for what they are. Now, can I, can I pause really quick? Paul wrote this letter to Ephesus from prison. 
He wrote, uh, I believe, the letter to Corinth where he talks about uh, light and momentary troubles. He, I believe he wrote that as well from prison. And the beauty is, is that he called light, these trials that we're going through light and momentary while he was in chains. I think we can learn to look at our troubles as light and momentary in this perspective of eternity and heaven. It's about realizing when you spend your time with God every day, it's about realizing that God is God and we are not. That God is enough. I know you've heard this, but we got to keep reminding ourselves that this life is temporary. This life is temporary, but it's eternal with Jesus. And when we live like all we need is Jesus, and we remember that it's by grace so we don't earn it and our imperfection doesn't cancel it out. We learn to love one another and live like a united family that will explode in growth for the kingdom of God. That's when that'll happen. I shared last week that I feel like God is sort of clarifying our vision for our church a little bit more with just a small tweak we want to keep moving until the neighborhood knows Jesus, is what we used to say. But I, I feel like the way that we need to view it now is we're going to keep moving until the neighborhood looks like Jesus. Until more and more people don't just know the name of Jesus, but have him as their Lord and Savior and begin to allow their lives to be shaped and conformed and transformed like our lives hopefully are doing. And the more we do that together, the more they're going to want it and the more they're going to be drawn to Jesus because they don't look at the church and see something different than what they read in the Bible. And so it's up to us to do that. The early church did it, and I believe we can do it too. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We're almost done here. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The early church was so focused on being one that the growth was just exploding. And we can see that happen the more that we live together and sacrifice for one another and remove self out of the relationship with us and God and therefore us and each other. It really just seems like that the early church just had the attitude of, I'm just happy to be here. They weren't concerned about who was getting the credit and who was getting the glory and who was getting all the praise. They were like, I'm just glad I get to be at the party. I don't care if I'm not the guest of honor. I'm just glad I get to be here. And if more of us, more of me and you would start developing that attitude, I'm just glad I get to be a part of the church. Man, the church would explode. We wouldn't have room. We wouldn't have room because that's what happened in the early church and that's what can happen with us. They had no designs on power or prestige or praise, just thankful to be in his presence with one another. So when we recognize that our greatest blessing is being in Christ, we start to find joy in his church, fulfillment in service, and peace in pointing others to him. And until you understand that, you'll always be searching 
You'll never be satisfied. And you'll always be empty and kind of leaking. <laughs> when Jesus becomes enough, so do you. You don't have to find fulfillment in anything else when Jesus is enough. You'll stop worrying about being enough. And here's two little things I want to give you as we sort of wrap this up. Two practical things. These are not brand new. But as I said before, we keep riding the dead horse, so we're going to start, we're going to keep on beating that horse. We've got to learn this. Until you and I really get it, we've got to keep repeating them. The first is practice solitude with God every day. Some time in his word, some time in prayer, some time just to be quiet and get away. Even if for you, your first step is three minutes, I don't care. Just start something, start somewhere and let it grow. Time with Jesus and his word, not weekly, every day. And the second is this, invest in other people. Invest in the lives of other people. Every month, if it's a big jump for you, every week or every, you know, whenever you can, just start somehow. Engage with somebody more than just, hey, how you doing? See you next week. Engage with somebody and spend time with them. Invite them to lunch after church. Start today. Say, hey, let's go grab lunch. Your family, my family. Let's go grab lunch. Invite them to your house. Invite them for coffee at some point. Over for dinner to play games or do something. But build a new relationship. Develop relationships. Now, that's for the church. So we can be united. But it's also about re reaching others. And so another part of that, about investing in other people, that I want you to really draw your mind to is something we've talked about a lot in the history of our church. And we're going to really be talking about a lot moving forward is pray for your one. Have one person that you want to be your person that you're going to pray for and reach out to and try to help them get to know Jesus. Start praying and thinking of ways you can invest in their lives and show them the love of Christ and invite them to be a part of what God is doing. Pray for them and help me and answer that prayer. And if you start doing that, you won't have time to worry about you. You won't have time to worry about being forgotten. You'll start to realize that the greatest blessing that you need is Jesus. And that's all you really need. Because when Jesus is enough, when he becomes enough, so do you. I want you to take a couple of moments as the band's coming up. And I want you to talk to God. Practice that time of solitude. Lord, help me to see the greatest roadblock for me personally, not, not my neighbor, not my husband or my wife, but for me, what's keeping me from really being locked in, devoted to you, and being united with you so that I can be united with other people. So pray that, and then pray, God help me to see the first person that I need to connect with in the body of Christ to help them be blessed and encouraged, and then who's gonna be next. Take a couple moments, and then we'll sing together the stand this worship. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.